You're listening to Resident. Rehivasi. Kazi. Banor. Mukim. Ipua. Ritil Teganashi. Al Mukim. Residente. A 10 part series exploring individual perspectives on the immigrant experience in Ireland and the personal histories that led them here. This is episode 10, Hanan. My name is Hanan Diria. I'm originally from Somalia. I grew up in Saudi Arabia and I have been living in Dublin for about 14 years and I specialize in directing documentaries. I always, when someone asks me where you're from, I, I, I obviously I will say I'm from Somalia, but I never actually, like I didn't grow up there. My mom was born in Aden during the British colony. My dad was born in the nomads area in Somaliland. And he left when he was 10 years old. He left the nomad area. He didn't like it, the nomad lifestyle. So he decided to leave in search of work or a better life. And he decided to go to Saudi Arabia and work there. And this is where he met my mom. They've been traveling back and forth to Somaliland until the civil war happened in Somalia. And they had to stay in Saudi Arabia. And we, we, we were all in Saudi Arabia at that time. My life was, uh, in a way, was normal growing up. Like I had my parents, my siblings. We grew up in kind of like a compound where a lot of foreigners people lived. It was kind of like more international place to grow up. It kind of helped me to get to know people from different backgrounds. And like we were more relaxed in the compound. Like I was able to ride the bicycle, play outside until the age of 14, which I couldn't do that if I was living in the city. Once we go out to the city, it was quite different. I grew up in a city called Tabuk and Due to my father's work, like he worked long hours. So we kind of stayed in the campground most of the time because you needed like a man actually to drive you. So my mom couldn't drive us. And the fact that we were like six girls in a row and then the boys were the youngest. People who had like an older brother, they were lucky because at least your brother could drive you around. So we were all kind of isolated in, in our own homes. Yeah, pretty much. I think I learned to to kind of like live with it because we had to be there. It, it, it was not by choice. Like my father was working there. Our home country was destroyed by the civil war. There was nowhere else that we can go. School was the most difficult thing because like I remember they had a board in the class where they put the names of the the ones who achieved uh, the most during the every month. And having the principal coming into the class one day and she saw the five tops were all foreigners. And she was like, we can't have that. Even if the best students in the class are the foreigners, we're not going to put your names on the on the wall. 
So she actually demanded the teacher to remove the names and put the Saudi girls' names on the wall. So that as a child was like, I was one of the five and my name was never on the wall after that. So even though I was doing well, my name will, will never be on the wall or the school will never celebrate my achievement. When you learn that from the very early age, that you have to cope with it as a child, it actually it, it damages you a lot as well. But thank God my father used to frame our certificates on the wall at home so that we can feel good about our achievement. It helps. My dad loved watching documentaries and all the documentaries were in Arabic. But because he didn't speak Arabic, he would be like, okay, translate for me. So at the beginning, I used to feel that it's boring because he used to watch a lot of like uh, documentaries about the World War II or like very serious, very serious topics that a child won't enjoy. <laughs> but like from sitting with him and translating, actually, I start knowing more about other countries. We used to discuss after the the documentary ends. He used to give me more information about whatever documentary we were watched. My dad loved having Atlas in the house. So we'll bring the Atlas and he'll be like, so this is the country we're watching the documentary about. It's located in here. This is the capital city. Their first president called forever. He gave me a lot of information just because I, we watched documentaries together and, and kind of start having the same interest. Definitely, I wanted to go out. I didn't know where, but I remember as a child looking at the sky and I used to look at the birds and I was like, wow, how lucky the birds are to be able to fly anywhere and go anywhere without without being asked for uh, a passport or <laughs> borders or without any, you know. I wish if I could go anywhere in the world. I just love to discover and explore the world because we were just in this kind of like, I would say, bubble that we lived in. But also at the same time, we were exposed to different countries. We were exposed to different cultures from the neighbors we had, from the stories like my mom and my, my dad, he used to tell us about back home. And my mom actually traveled a lot before she ended up in Saudi Arabia. So we used to sit and she would tell us, there is a time she was in Lebanon and she told us stories about how beautiful Beirut is and and she went up in the mountains. And we were just picturing all those beautiful landscape. So I just dreamed that one day I could go anywhere that I want and I actually I can see more of this world, not just be in one place. I just wanted to go somewhere where I can actually feel free and relaxed and be myself. My mom, she always encouraged us to speak Somali in the house. And sometimes when we speak to her in Arabic, even though she understood, she will be like, I don't understand. And she always encouraged us to listen to Somali music. She was like, listen to this song. And she will try to translate because we didn't understand much of the words. And she would be like, this is what he's saying. And we'll be like, okay, okay, mom. I, like, all right, I prefer to listen to Arabic music or uh, Indian music. As well, when we are going to our parties, she would dress up in the traditional clothes. She had a big collection of 
traditional clothes. And when we were home bored, I used to put on her clothes and just, you know, play with them. She didn't like that, but <laughs> but it was like fun to put on all those colorful dresses she had. So like we didn't have the opportunity as a children to visit actually Somalia when we were kids to go back and visit because of the civil war. So that was not an option, but she put a lot of effort making us try to connect. So during the colonization era, Somalia was divided into different parts based on the country that colonized each part. So Somaliland was colonized by the British and Somalia was colonized by the Italians. After the independence, Somaliland and Somalia, they decided to uh, unite and form one country. And then the civil war happened and that caused, of course, a lot of people to die. People left their homes and that led also to uh, a famine, a big famine in the early 90s. Growing up, all I knew was the civil war and the war. We were always connected. We were always hearing stories. The way people communicate is someone will record tapes of what's actually happening. And then they make a copy of that and then they send it to people who are abroad. So I remember sitting down and watching all those tapes with my parents. And it was, it was hard to watch. Like people are dying. It was a hard time for, for us as Somalis because of what was happening. After the civil war, the people of Somaliland decided that the Somalilanders have suffered enough and they prefer now to actually form their own country. They refused to continue with the one country, the big Somalia. In Somaliland, since 1992, they had a stable government and it was much safer than Mogadishu. It happened that my sister was here in Ireland and it was, how can I say, it was totally by luck. Definitely I wanted to go out. I didn't want to to be there. Like, it's just like it was like a lot of things going on. So she managed to get me the, the visa and I came to Ireland at that time. So when I came, I stayed in a hostel for the process and all that. It took... Uh, about eight months until I got my uh, refugee status. Thankfully, it was not so difficult for me. Some of us are lucky enough to get their status faster than the others. I have some friends who are waiting for nearly 10 years. They just had to wait and it's, 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 it's very difficult. I remember the day I got my status. That was a special day. After you have done your interviews, you get an envelope which has the response of your uh, asylum-seeking application. And of course, at that time, my English was not that good. And I remember the hostel where I was living, uh, there was a nice lady who worked at the reception. And I was like, okay, you open it and read it and tell me what it is. And she opened and she she looked and she was like, yes. <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, I hugged her and it was just, yeah, I was uh, really thrilled. I was really happy. <laughs> I didn't have any plan B. This was the only place and the only option for me. I felt so relieved. I felt that I can finally start my life somewhere without 
having the fear that I will have to leave at some point or I will be forced to leave or I will have less right than the others. It felt good to know that my rights are protected. That was an amazing thing. I knew that I have to make it home where I can actually do something for myself. And like you have to overcome a lot of obstacles. You have to learn to be independent. You have to learn the, the country, the culture. You have to get used to the weather and the people around you. It felt like I was uh, born again. I was thinking, okay, will I ever be able to actually have a conversation with the person where I can actually speak fluently? And that was one of the things that I, I hoped to achieve one day when, when I first came. I was like, okay, I'll be able to learn English and I can actually talk to people. The cultural shock that I had will be more in the behaviors, like the culture in, in the Middle East. When someone is new, others will have to talk to him. They will approach him. So at the beginning, I used to think people are so rude. No one is talking to me. No, no one wants to talk to me until, thankfully, one of my friends told me the culture is different here. People here, they don't talk to you because they respect your wish. If you want to talk to them, you have to introduce yourself and then they will be happy to talk to you. So you have to make the effort. You start and you will see people will talk to you. When she, when she told me that actually helped me a lot because when you think that, oh, people don't like you, you will be very, very careful of where you sit or who you talk to. Like I was very conscious of myself. Did I sit properly? Did I put my bag in the right place or not? So that was, that was the biggest shock for me. My mom always wanted one of us to be a doctor or a nurse, at least. <laughs> so she always had hope that, okay, maybe the next one will decide, maybe the next one. So I was her last hope, and I was like, no, I, I, I don't want to be a nurse or a doctor. That's not me. And at the same time, like I had years that I didn't know what I want to do. I know I wanted to do something in the media, but I wasn't sure. And then I started researching. And I decided to study the film and TV production course. And yeah, I specialized in directing documentaries and I'm very happy I did that. It was an amazing experience. The only thing that a lot of time I was scared. I was scared of failing. And that actually didn't let me enjoy most of my time when I was in college. It was like my life dream to study film. And I didn't think I would be able to have this opportunity. And now I have it. I had really huge pressure on me from myself. And if I fail, I will be like, okay, you have been given this opportunity, but you, you didn't succeed. So I feel like I missed out on my daily, you know, life in college. I decided to start with documentaries because I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy digging deep into the reasons why some people decide to do things that actually other people don't do. I'm one of the people who, who likes to listen a lot and talk less. Sometimes I talk a lot as well, <laughs> but uh, I, I really enjoy talking to people and 
just have that connection. And I wanted to start with that. And hopefully in the future, I can write and make fictions as well. But documentaries will always have a special place in my heart. After graduation, uh, my documentary got accepted in many festivals. I got a lot of people who actually contacted me and they wanted to show the film. I was really thrilled that people were interested. And a couple of times we were invited for QA after the film. The questions that, that people asked me about, people tell me that they actually liked the film and they felt it. That was amazing. The first time I actually went to Somalia and Somaliland was in 2015 after I graduated and I went there and it was it was amazing because I always wanted to go back and see for myself and actually know more about the culture, my family, my roots. And it was nice to actually see it for myself. And actually when, when I say I'm from there, even though I'm not fully from there, I, I'm still part of me is Saudi, part of me is Irish, part of me is... Like, yeah, I have all those cultures in me, but it was good to kind of like know where I'm actually from. Somaliland is not a recognized country, but the government in Somaliland knows that there is a lot of diaspora who always come back every summer and every holidays. So there's always flights from Hargeisa in Somaliland to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. So to get there, it was not complicated. But on my first trip, I chose to fly to Addis Ababa and then I took a bus from Addis to Hargeisa. I just wanted to be able to see as much as I can and meet people as much as I can. The landscape was amazing and it was just amazing to talk to other Somali people and meet also Ethiopians. And every time we stop in a village, it was just really amazing experience to meet the people and to buy from the the, the small shops and uh, the street food that they were offering and yeah so I really enjoyed that journey just the first few days I was just looking around like wow I was I was really happy I was I was I was really overwhelmed it felt good that you see your own people around you in a way you can hear Somali the whole time that actually took me a while to get used to that. That actually I had to talk to the bus driver in Somali. That I had to talk to the taxi driver in Somali. Like, because I'm just used to using other languages. When you see your parents after a really long time, we had to catch up about so many things. We were staying up until late. And then we woke up early and like constantly we were talking. In a way, they, they were a bit sad that they, they missed a big part of me. Like they missed that part of me transitioning from young lady or young woman to kind of like I was like mature enough. But it, they were really happy to see me and I was really happy to see them after this uh, long years. I was writing this documentary about the Somali nomads and I wanted to explore the nomad lifestyle because of all the stories that I heard from my father. Like, I would have been a nomad if my dad 
never left. I still have uncles and family who are still nomads. So I felt very connected. I was like, this could have been my life. So I wanted to see what is it like to be a nomad in Somaliland. And I decided to go back and stay there. It was always in the back of my head. Okay, one day I have to, one day I have to, and they have to. A lot of people were like, they, they think it's crazy to do that. They won't be able, but like, I enjoyed every single minute I spent in the nomad. Like actually every time I go, like I spent like maybe a week and then I come back to Hargeisa. Every time I go, actually I come back very happy. When you say the nomad lifestyle, you think, oh, it's difficult, it's hard life. But actually, it's how things started from the beginning. Like we, we were all nomads. Like it felt that I went back to the, the basic, basic, basic life style that you can have. Just having a tent and water and something to eat will be enough for you actually to live. It just made me so humble because... This is actually enough as well. This is enough, like, you can actually live and you can live happily. And trust me, they are 100% happier than me and anyone else that I know. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was always planning to come back to Ireland and I left to experience the life back in Somaliland and to work on my documentary. And also my husband was working actually in Somaliland. So we were like, okay, we can both go back to Somaliland and work on our project and come back whenever we, we are done. We met first in 2015 when I went uh, to Hargeisa. We met at the airport and we were just chatting. He He's originally also from Hargeisa, but he grew up in France. They left during the, his family left during the civil war. So we met at the airport and we were chatting and it happened that we actually had a lot of things in common. So we just kept in touch and we decided to meet again. We met in Paris and yeah, just from there we clicked and we were in relationship since then until we decided to, to get married. We didn't set a time to come back, but we said like, in five years, max, we, we will be back, but it could be before that. And so the pandemic happened in 2019. <laughs> so I couldn't do a lot of my work. I couldn't travel to the nomads because everything was so scary and nobody knew what to do. So I had to put the project on hold and uh, I stayed in Hargeisa. And then end of 2020, I found out that I was pregnant and we decided that, okay, I have to come back because everything was so scary. So I just wanted to be back in Ireland where I can actually be surrounded by people that I know, my friends, family. It felt like a good thing to do is to come back to Ireland now. So this is when I decided to come back. One of the things I was thinking about when I had my daughter I was like, okay, what language am I going to teach her? Because I speak Arabic, I speak Somali, and I speak English. And English she will learn because she's born here and she will always speak English. So I had to choose between Somali and uh, Arabic. Even though I feel more Somali than Saudi 
my first language still is my first like uh, will be the word uh, uh, mother tongue it's Arabic I will be more confident actually speaking to her in Arabic I will have more vocabulary I will have more way to express myself so I was like okay I'm gonna speak to her in Arabic but this doesn't mean that I'm gonna erase the Somali part of me because I want her to speak Somali at some point. So I was like, okay, my job will be like, okay, I'll teach Arabic and my parents can speak Somali to her and they can teach her the Somali. Now my parents have permit to, to live here as well. My elder sister managed to apply for a family reunion visa for them. They are still adjusting and they're not quite sure if they want to stay here. But they are happy to, to be able to see us and have us around. Especially now with me having a daughter, it's amazing that they have seen her since she was born. They spoil her a lot. <laughs> it's very hard to, uh, to manage the baby while, when your parents are really spoiling her the other day. They give her chocolate <laughs> and sometimes they feed her from, you know, when they are eating, they, they give her the food and now she doesn't like her baby food anymore. So it's it's great, but she she's so spoiled. <laughs> when I got my citizenship, around that time they start having the ceremony, and it was like around three thousand people getting the citizenship as well at the same time. Some of the people were dressed up in their cultural outfit. It was a beautiful day, and there was like a really beautiful speech also said by the. Minister of Justice. Let's say it was like, I don't know, 150 nationalities at that time who were getting the Irish citizenship. And he was like, okay, now you're all Irish, even though you are from all those different countries or from all those different backgrounds. Now you're all Irish. I looked around and I was like, okay, now we have something in common, all of us. And it was just so beautiful. It was really beautiful. And it felt home. It felt. Um, it felt that I belong. I I belong to somewhere. I belong to Ireland. Even though it's just a, a passport or it's just a nationality, it just makes you feel um, you are part of the society. You are part of a nation. It felt good. It, it felt that you've been recognized. You've been celebrated. When I think of home at the moment, I think of Dublin. This is home for me. But also when I talk about Somaliland, I refer to it as home because my parents are from there and your parents are somehow your home as well. I feel my parents brought Somaliland to us. So home for me, it was like before I came to Ireland, home for me was like the house we lived in. My family, Th that was it. Now, every time when I come back to Dublin, I, I was still, I'm, I'm back, I'm home. And they'll be like, also when you go up to Somaliland, you go, oh, I'm back home. <laughs> so I, I, I refer um, to both places as home. But deep inside me when I talk about home is Dublin, because this is where I felt, okay, now I can settle, I can stay here, I can, I can make it home, which I did.
Thanks for listening. This has been a Bearprint Media production produced by Bjorn McGilla and me, Rob Flynn. Edit and mixed by me with original music by Haku Yo of Sonic Gate Studios. Special thanks to all our contributors for making this series possible. This series was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use. Thanks very much for your support.